Bibles, turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter number 3 this morning. Again, Philippians, chapter number 3. Again, it's so good to see you here with us today. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 12. Philippians 3, verse 12. It says these words, it says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. The one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Chapter 4, verse 1, which is really a part of this paragraph, Says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And this is the word of the Lord today. We are going to finish our third and final sermon today, talking about some keys, some reminders of what it takes to live faithfully, to live a faithful life. And of course, this has been my contention, really all the summer, most of the summer, of how we should live in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of this world that seems to be ever so crazy, never so abnormal. You know, I heard someone talk about how, you know, in 20, 30 years, 2020 is just going to be some kind of a byword, some kind of cuss word for us, right? Some kind of thing that we're all just going to look back on and say, yeah, I remember living through that time. What do we do? What do we do? How do we continue to go on in this life? How do we continue to remember or, or, or to live, I should say, a faithful life? Well, we remember, first of all, who is in control, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. We remember and nothing can separate us from God's love. And then we remember today our ultimate 
our final destiny. We remember that our goal has yet to be achieved. And we are looking for something far different and far greater than what we have now. And sometimes this becomes difficult. We've never been to heaven. We've never seen streets of gold or pearly gates. We've never seen the face of our Savior face to face and beheld Him in all of His glory. We've never been to a place where there are no tears, no crying, no sickness, no pain like we just sung about. Does it seem like no matter what you do or no matter what you've gone through, there's always a reminder of a sin-cursed and fallen world. And yet the goal remains the same for us. The goal remains the same for each and every one of us. We are headed somewhere, and this should shape and ultimately determines how we live our lives today in the here and now. So consider with me a couple of verses before we get into our text this morning. The first one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul writes these words and he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? And then he says, So run that you may obtain it. You may obtain the prize. And then he says, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Okay, he's telling us that the athlete, the one who's training, the one who is trying to run and chase down a prize, they learn to exercise self-control. Why do they do it? They do it to obtain a perishable wreath. Well, we don't give out wreaths much today in our culture, but they do it to obtain a perishable trophy, a perishable ring, a perishable prize. But we are training not for a perishable trophy, but rather an imperishable. So Paul says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What is he saying there? He's using the analogy of a runner, an athlete, a boxer. And he's telling them, we don't do this simply in a haphazard way. Rather, we train and we exercise. We we discipline ourselves, even as we're fighting, as a boxer is fighting. He does not just throw punches haphazardly, but he tries to do it to land the best shot to his opponent. That is how we live our lives. But yet we are doing it not just for perishable prize. Consider with me then Hebrews chapter 11 verses 15 and 16. Paul, or sorry, the writer of the Hebrews, whoever it may be, is talking about those who have journeyed on through faith, through Abraham and Noah and so on. And he says these words in verse 15 of Hebrews 11. He says, if they had been thinking of their land from which they had gone out, They would have had opportunity to return. Okay, in other words, if their focus had simply been on the country from which they came from, we remember, of course, God told Noah, 
you're going to live in a better world, build an ark, you know, get ready, the flood is going to come, I'm going to recreate the world. God told Abraham, leave the land of your fathers and journey from where you are living into a land that I will show you. And the writer here says, if they would have been thinking about that prior country, they could have went back. And he says, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one a country where god is not ashamed to be called their god for he has prepared for them a city they went out looking for a better country both of these passages reiterate what it is that i want to speak to you about today i want to share with you today and that is a reminder to you to remember the ultimate destiny we have in Christ. Keep that in your mindset as you go on and you live in this life. So we get into the passage today and we see my first point this morning is this, the mindset, the mindset to have, the mindset that we must have, which is this, press on, press on. What is the mindset you need to have as you go out of this place and you spend the next 12 and a half hours of September 13, 2020, doing whatever it is you're going to do? Hopefully for most of us, it's probably very little. So maybe I should talk about September 14th when we get back up and go into the grind, right? Whatever it is, what is the mindset you should have? Your mindset should be what Paul tells the church of Philippi, and that is, I press on. Look at verse 12 here. He says, not that I have already attained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Okay, you notice there, there's a couple of pronouns, it and this, talking about something that he has already referred to. And Paul says, I am attaining it. I want to press on to it. I want to make it my own. What is it he has not obtained? Well, we find out in verse 11 the answer. Verse 11, he says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. In other words, Paul's goal is to attain the resurrection, to attain the fullness, if you would, of his salvation. The fullness of what it means to be a child of God. The fact that God has saved us, that He has redeemed us, that God is sanctifying us here in this present life. And ultimately that God is going to glorify us. He is going to give us the fullness of salvation when we stand before Him complete and transformed in a new body, in a new life. Paul makes it clear. He wants to attain it. He wants to pursue it. He wants to to have it in his life. And let me just say, he is not telling us that Paul is not telling us here that he is trying to to work out his salvation. He is trying to to earn his salvation in any way, shape, matter, or form. We know, of course, from Paul's writing himself, that there is nothing we can do to earn our salvation. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. But there is a mindset in the Scriptures that when Paul, or when God, I should say, 
changes your life and he makes you new. He makes you a new creation. There is a mindset that comes upon the believer that says, I want Christ more than anything in my life. I want to be found in him. I want to hear him say, well done. I want to know him even as he fully knows me. Paul says, I haven't attained it yet, but I'm pressing. I'm pressing for it. I'm straining for it. I'm striving to have it. And the reason he wants to know Christ is that Christ has made him his own. Christ has changed his life so drastically. Paul understands what it is that Christ has done for him when he has redeemed him and saved him and changed his life. He understands the significance of the work of salvation. Dare I say, too many of us have forgotten the significance of what Christ has done for us. Maybe it's because we've been in church so long or it occurred at such a young age or we didn't get out in the depths of sin and wind up on a you know maximum security prison or, or wind up a drug addict or whatever the case might be that we fail to remember and to realize what Christ has done in our life when he has saved us and transformed us and made us his own. And Paul says, Christ has done that to me. And because he has done it to me, I want to obtain him more than anything else. That's why three times he mentions here, I press toward the prize. I strain forward. I press on toward the goal for the prize. Three times he is using these words indicating an effort, a willingness to strive, an effort more than anything else to make Christ his everything in his life. This is not a haphazard effort. You get up and you decide, you know, like so many of us do on January 1st of every year, this is the year I'm going to exercise and get in shape and we get up and we do about five jumping jacks and we think well that's good I'll do it again next year no this is a full flat out effort I am going to compete at the highest levels and so when all my buddies are going out to the bars and the club and drinking all night I'm going to bed because I have to run in a race and I know I have to have my sleep Everyone else is eating five or six piece pizzas themselves, pieces of pizza themselves, going back to the salad bar because I realize I have to run in this race, which is why I don't run, by the way, because I'd rather have pizza. That's just me. This is someone who is totally dedicated to the effort, the call of God reminded of what he wrote in chapter 1 verse 6 I'm sure of this he who began a good work will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus yet Paul also says work out your salvation press with fear and trembling right before that he is telling them as Christ has worked in your life you also give your everything to him and make sure nothing comes in your way Notice verse 13, he says, I don't consider to have made it my own. I haven't gotten there yet. But one thing I do, I forget what lies behind, and I strain forward again. 
what lies ahead. I haven't achieved it yet. Still, I'm not content to live upon what happened yesterday. I'm not content to live upon last year's successes. I'm not content to remember the glories of yesteryear, whether it's good or bad. The fact of the matter is, an athlete cannot run a race if they are constantly looking behind them. You have to keep your eyes on a prize. You have to keep your face straight ahead. We cannot get hung up on things that happened in our past, either good or bad. Sit there and say, I remember the glory days when... I had 300 people in a Sunday school class. We had 5,000 people in the church. And, oh, man, this was really great. And God was moving it in such a good way. And, and I'm thankful for those words. I'm thankful for those testimonies. I'm thankful for the reminders of what happened in yesteryear. What about today? What are you doing today? How are you striving for more of Christ in your life and this world? Notice verse 15, he says, this is a sign, a sign of maturity in the believer. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. Okay, just as it is when you take your five-year-old child out to play t-ball, and he plays, and he's so excited, and he plays for about an inning and a half, and then all of a sudden he's looking for the ice cream that's coming after the game. That's what they do. He's five years old. You really expect him to sit through a four-hour baseball game and give undivided attention? Of course not. He's five years old. Those who are mature, those who are at their athletic peak and are getting paid millions of dollars, they're the ones that you and I pay a lot of money to go to a stadium and watch them perform, and we think we don't want to see them giving up midway through the second inning. Paul is saying here, when you are really growing in your relationship with Christ, part of that growth will be a mindset that says, I'm getting up and I'm pressing on and I'm moving forward each and every day. Apostle calls his readers to share with him the pursuit of Christ's likeness. What he wanted for himself, he wanted for them. All of us who are mature should take such a view of such things. What view? The view of persistently pressing on toward the goal. One mark of spiritual maturity is a desire to go on with Christ. Paul says, share my ambitions. Share my dream. Share my goal. Share my desire. So many of us live far below who we can be in Christ because there's not really a desire in our life to move forward. Press on the things of this world. Succumb. Knock us down. The mindset Paul has is this. Press on. And then secondly, we notice the warning. The warning for us to heed. That warning is this. Don't get sidetracked. So we have a mindset to have, and then we have a warning to heed. And that warning is, don't get sidetracked. Verse 17, he says, brothers, join in imitating me. Join me. Be a part. Follow me as I follow Christ. 
It says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in them. So he tells them that, that they should imitate him, the one who said, I am pressing on, I'm going forward. And also that they should imitate those who have this mindset in their lives. Why do we have this mindset? Why do we follow these examples? Verse 18 tells us, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. What he is telling them there is that you need to keep your eyes on me as I follow Christ. Why? Because there are a lot of people that if you get your eyes on them, they will sidetrack you from your ultimate goal. If you are not careful, they will lead you astray. They will lead you aside and you will find yourself deterred from what it is that we're ultimately pursuing. How easy it is us as believers to make shipwreck of our lives. How easy it is for us as believers to get turned away from what is really important, what is really number one, what really should be the main priority in their life. Now that we know that these people are enemies of the cross, look at verse 19. He says their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. We are following people in their life that follow these characteristics. Guarantee if you're not careful to turn away, they will shipwreck your life. Look at what he says. He says there they they serve, their their God is their belly. They serve, in other words, their physical desires. All they care about is pleasing and satisfying their lustful, shameful passion. Sound like the day and age in which we live in, in which we're told that the beauty and sanctity of marriage is no longer between men and women, but it's now whatever it is that you want it to be. Just follow your heart and your passion. Paul talks about this in Romans 1, verse 29. He says, They're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, they're filled with evil, with covetousness. With malice, they're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Do you really want to follow someone like that? Do you really want to follow someone whose mind is only set on what their fleshly passions and desires want them to have? And yet the pool of the world is come, follow us, come, be a part of us, come, be accepted in society, come, and, and, and don't let anyone castigate you and mock you and ridicule you. Come and be a part. Everyone does it. This is the 2020. You have to, you have to get on board. History is going, and you don't want to be on the wrong side of history. 
rather be on the wrong side of history or on the right side of God if you don't mind. And so I would rather not follow those whose God is only in their physical desires. Their God is in their belly. He also says they glory in their shameful actions. They glory in their shameful actions. Romans 1 verse 32 says, Though they know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things, they not only do them themselves, but they give their approval. They put their mark of shame. They, it becomes something that's accepted and lauded and praised. A couple weeks ago, National Public Radio took a lot of flack, a lot of heat, because they had someone on there who wrote a book who basically defended people who were looting and destroying property and they made it to sound like it was perfectly normal and acceptable thing to do. And I'm all for a right to free speech. I'm all for a right to express ourselves. But where does our right to protest and express ourselves become? I have the right to steal something that does not belong to me. And yet people are now writing books defending this action. You see people defending the rights of those, and, and even Netflix has come under fire because they're, they're glorifying pedophilia in such a way with their disastrous new movie that's on their program. This is the world in which we are living in, and we say, oh, I would never get involved in that kind of stuff. But if we're not careful, we can get sidetracked even in our own lives. Must pay attention. We must take heed. Their God is their belly. They care about their physical things. They glory in their shameful activities. Number three, he says they only care about earthly things. They only care about earthly things. I wonder if this is why political discourse in our country has become so outrageous and so heated. Could it be that there are those on the left and the right who only have one thing in mind, and that is the pursuit of power? That's all they care about is power. And so when you don't care about anything else in this world, you fight hard, you strive hard for. That is their God. They care only about earthly things, Philippians. Paul wrote these words in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, what do I gain? If humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. First 1 Corinthians 15 is the story, the defense of the resurrection. And he says, but if God is not raised, what does it matter? What did it matter that I went to Ephesus and I fought these beasts? Probably not in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense. What does it matter if I went through all this trouble? If Christ is not risen, I might as well just go out and eat and drink. 
Might as well go out and make a lot of money. Might as well go out and get my feel of sexual perverse pleasure. I might as well just go out and do whatever satisfies me. If Christ is not risen from the dead, none of this matters. It's the mindset of our world, and that's why. Whether it's pursuit of power, whether it's just physical pleasure, satisfaction, whatever it is, it's all they care about. It's all they desire. And you and I as Christians, if we're not careful, we can get sidetracked. Oh, we say I'd never get involved in such perversion that's out there. No, but we can get caught up in this pursuit of power and this passion for more, desire for more stuff. I've got to have more stuff. I've got to have nicer stuff. We'll end up getting sidetracked. And so our mindset to have, press on, your warning to heed. Don't get sidetracked. Finally, the reminder. A reminder to hold on to. Reminder to hold on to. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Paul tells the church here, pursue Christ above all. Pursue Him most of all. Don't get sidetracked. And then remember this our citizenship is in heaven verse 20 our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ who will do what will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself live obviously in an increasingly global society where citizenship to a country may not matter as much. But to be a citizen of Rome was a big thing. Paul uses his citizenship at Rome and a, and a soldier is threatening to be him and he, he looks at him and he says, hey, you're, do you really have the right to, to smack a Roman citizen? Because if he wasn't a Roman citizen, they can do whatever they wanted to. And says, I am a Roman citizen. I paid for it with a great price. And Paul says, no, dude, I was born a Roman citizen. He used his Roman citizenship in a big thing because it was a big deal. That the thought of those whose lives are dominated by the desire for earthly things leads the apostle to say that true Christians know their life and citizenship is even now in heaven. With Christ. The Philippians could be proud of their citizenship in a Roman colony, just as we all have an earthly citizenship, which has its privileges and obligations. Yes, there's nothing wrong with flying your American flag or your Mexican flag or Canadian flag or, or whatever flag you have. Understand, ultimately, it's not just about being a citizen of an earthly country. We have to value, above all, the gift of a heavenly life and a citizenship, and we live in hope of our future inheritance. 
trust me, though. We wait for the reappearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, this perishable body will put on an imperishable body. This mortal body will put on an immortal body. When the perishable will put on the imperishable and the mortal will put on immortality, then will come to pass the saying that is written, death swallowed up in victory. The privilege of his citizenship of Rome was a privilege.
kid had graduated valedictorian in high school in Florida. That's me, he saw him. Said they called his name at the awards banquet. They said, tell him, tell him to He's valedictorian. He walked up there and he thought, this is what I have worked for all of my life. This is what I strive for. He said they called his name and they called him. I thought in that moment, that's it. That's it. That's all we're going to do. I mean, he was doing this on his graduating valedictorian speech. So. The fact of the matter is, he worked so hard for the cause. What is it that you are striving 